Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 60 Minutes ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. I'm Holly Williams reporting for 60 Minutes. At 10 o'clock this morning, Queen Elizabeth II began her final journey. From her favourite home, Balmoral Castle in the Scottish countryside, the Queen's cortege travelled to Edinburgh, where she'll lie in rest until Tuesday before moving to London. Hundreds of thousands are expected to pay their last respects. The British monarch, who reigned for over 70 years, passed away on Thursday. Just two days earlier, she'd met with Britain's new Prime Minister, as she had with every Prime Minister going back to Winston Churchill. For decades, she was arguably the glue that united this kingdom. At 96, she'd been frail for months, but outside Buckingham Palace, a shocked crowd immediately gathered. I... Charles III. King Charles III was officially proclaimed the new sovereign yesterday. The death of their grandmother brought estranged brothers, Princes William and Harry, together again. Briefly, at least. In his first address to the nation as king, Charles borrowed from Shakespeare to bid his mother farewell. May flights of angels sing thee to thy rest. After a state funeral on Monday the 19th, Queen Elizabeth will be laid to rest alongside her late husband, Prince Philip, at Windsor Castle, just outside London. And now, 60 Minutes. What am I doing on this? Go, go to the trade center. 21 years ago, they answered the call. We knew that there could be up to 20, 25,000 people in each building. I'm on the 83rd floor, and it's very, very, very hot. Every firefighter saw the flames, and they looked into their own hearts. Stay together. Stay together. That's when I said to Pete, uh, Pete, this will be the worst day of our lives. And 
you know, that was before I knew the half of it. And in the darkness, Everybody all right? I wondered if I was dead or alive. Hey, Pete! Chief Hayden! Tonight, the World Trade Center collapsed. The fire department of the city of New York and the greatest act of gallantry ever bestowed on an American city. I don't want this to be something that's in a history book that a page is turned and we're forgotten. I'm Leslie Stahl. I'm Bill Whitaker. I'm Anderson Cooper. I'm Sharon Alfonsi. I'm John Wertheim. I'm Scott Pelley. That story tonight on 60 Minutes. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car or a house. It's the four wheels that get you where you're going and the four walls that welcome you home. When you combine auto and home insurance with Amica, we'll help protect it all. And the more you cover, the more you can save. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. In the neighborhoods of New York, there are 217 firehouses. Each holds a memorial to firefighters who answered the call 21 years ago and never returned. As we first told you last September, 343 members of the fire department of the city of New York perished on 9-11 in the greatest act of gallantry ever bestowed on an American city. This is their story. This plane raced past us along the Hudson River at such a low altitude, I could read American on the fuselage. At 8.46 that morning, Battalion Chief Joe Pfeiffer was blocks away, searching for a routine gas leak. I saw the plane aim and crash into the North Tower of the World Trade Center. From that moment, the firefighters of the FDNY would have about an hour and a half to save 17,000 lives. They knew that they might not come home, but they knew there were people trapped. That's our job. There's no way we were going to stand back and say we're not going in. That wouldn't be the FDNY. Our aim was to get above that fire and get those poor people out that were calling us. We're on the floor and we can't breathe. Okay. And it's very, very, very hot. And all the dispatcher could say is, um, we're coming for you. So we like to keep our promises. You know, We told them we're coming. We're coming. Go, go to the trade center. 
Joe Pfeiffer was coming with a camera. Filmmakers Jules and Gideon Noday were making a documentary about the FDNY. Oh my God. We have a number of floors on fire. It looked like the plane was aiming towards the building. Engine six to Engine six. The World Trade Center, tower number one, is on fire. Dispatch launched an armada. Engine 211, ladder 11, engine 44, engine 22, engine 53. 121 engines, 62 ladder companies, 100 ambulances, 750 members of the FDNY. Attention 68 engine, 35 engine, 50 engine, 64 engine, 94 engine, 83 engine. At FDNY headquarters in Brooklyn, 54-year-old Chief of Department Peter Gancy Jr. raced to his car. He was the boss, leading the second largest fire department in the world after Tokyo. Dan Nigro was his number two. So we went downstairs quickly, got in the car, and headed over the Brooklyn Bridge where we could see the damage, see the smoke, see the fire. That's when I said to Pete, uh, Pete, this will be the worst day of our lives. And... You know, that was before I knew the half of it. Car three to Manhattan, kid. Pete Gancy's voice was recorded en route. Down. Transmit a fifth alarm for this box. Get us a staging area tree, uh, chief, somewhere on West Street, okay? A box is a location. K signals the end of a message, a throwback to the 19th century telegraph, which, on this day, was punctuating the greatest crisis in the department's 136 years. Right away, I got a deep sense that uh, we were going to lose a lot of firefighters this day. Division One Commander Peter Hayden met Battalion Chief Joe Pfeiffer in the lobby of the burning tower. Well, I knew that we weren't going to be able to put out the fire. So the order of the day was to search and evacuate as many people as we could, uh, and then we were going to back away. The fire was 93 floors above. Elevators were out. So firefighters climbed tight stairwells, shouldering 75 pounds and more. And I thought we would have enough time to get the people out. And uh, everybody that was above the impact of the plane, um, we were pretty much sure were uh, either dead already or going to die. There was a lot of people jumping out already. 1,355 people were trapped above the fire. The Boeing 767 had severed all three stairwells leaving one way out. Jumpers, baby, jumpers. Come on. All right, Division 1, be advised. Uh, Battalion 2, advise you have jumpers from the World Trade Center. We heard a loud thud, and I knew that was somebody that either fell or jumped from the building. The first firefighter killed was hit by a fellow human being. It was happening so rapidly that I grabbed the, the PA system at the fire command post, and I said, the firefighters are coming, if you can, hold on. It's something that's going to haunt us probably for the rest of our lives. Tour commander Sal Cassano had arrived precisely 17 minutes after the North Tower was hit. Just as I got out of my car, I heard another explosion. 
And I can tell you exactly what time it was. It was 9.03, because that was the plane that hit the South Tower. The second 767 exploded into floors 77 through 85. Now, 2,000 people were trapped a quarter mile high. Cassano ran into the department chaplain, Michael Judge. And I just told him, uh, Father, we're going to be for a bad day. You're going to need a lot more chaplains here. You know, the more and more firefighters, they kept coming in and they took their assignments with no question. Yeah. Pretty tough to do. But it's also hard to give them those assignments. It was. Yeah, it, it was. But, um, you know, but I could tell when I gave the assignments out, you know, I could see the look, look in their eyes. I remember seeing firefighters hugging each other and, and, and heading up. How many firefighters did you see that day refuse to go up the stairs? Nobody refused to go in. I could remember one lieutenant from Engine 33 coming up to me and not saying a word. And we stood there wondering if we were both going to be okay. And that lieutenant was my brother Kevin. And then I told him what, what I told many of the other fire officers. I said, go up to the 70th floor. 70, they hoped, could be a staging area in the North Tower. In less than half an hour, the FDNY had rescue operations in the North Tower, the South Tower, and the nearly sold-out 800-room hotel between them. From the time the first plane hit the North Tower until the second the tower collapsed was 102 minutes. The things that were going through Pete's mind in just 102 minutes. It's just mind-boggling. Sal Cassano was with Chief of Department Pete Gancy at his command post on the street below the towers. This is the only known picture of Gancy that day. Was Gancy the kind of boss that you did things for because you feared him or because you desperately did not want to let him down? You did it because you loved him. Gancy joined the FDNY in 1968. What kind of man was Peter Gancy? <laughs> uh, yeah, Pete, uh, I guess I, I, people would say he's my alter ego. Had chest full of medals, and he was just a, a down-to-earth, honest, hard-working guy. You know, he's a paratrooper in the Army, worked his way up to be chief of department in the FDNY. Quite a story. A story of courage over his 33-year career. He won the department's Medal of Valor, crawling into a burning apartment on his hands and knees, grabbing a child who was certainly going to die, and dragging that child out and saving her life. That's the kind of person Pete was. He would put people before himself without a doubt. He put his firefighters before himself three months before 9-11. Gancy, the chief of department, responded from home to a call of firefighters trapped in a burning store 
he went in wearing shorts and boat shoes. He once said his 11,000 firefighters were his children. On that day in Queens, he lost three. On 9-11, the man responsible for firefighter safety was Chief Al Turi, who was tormented by the passing minutes. Let it burn up. He asked Pete Hayden if he had considered the threat of a partial localized collapse on the burning floors. I said yes, uh, but we needed to get the people out. There were hundreds upon hundreds of people coming down the interior stairs. How much time did you think you had? I thought we had a couple of hours. The chiefs knew no steel high-rise in history had ever completely collapsed due to fire. None of us expected the building to come down. We expected the fire to keep burning and conditions to get worse. But um, if we could just get one route above in each building, perhaps we could bring some folks down at least. You just needed a little more time. We just needed time. No one would do more with time than Oreo Palmer. That's him on the right with the mustache. He's receiving orders to go to the South Tower to try to clear a path to the trapped souls calling 911. How many people where you're at right now? There's like five people here with me. All up on the 83rd floor. 83rd floor. 32-year-old Melissa Doy was saying the Hail Mary prayer when 911 answered. The once aspiring ballerina was a manager in a financial firm on 83, one of the burning floors in the South Tower. Is, are they going to be able to get somebody up here? Well, boss man, we're coming up to you. Well, there's no one here yet, and the floor is completely engulfed. We're on the floor, and we can't breathe. And it's very, very, very hot. The operator was right. Someone was rising toward Melissa Doy. Oreo Palmer ran marathons as a hobby. Battalion 7 is Chief Palmer. Ladder 1-5 is a team of firefighters a few floors below. What do you got up there, Chief? I'm still in Boy Stairway, 74th floor, no smoke or fire problem. The walls are breached, so be careful. This is Ladder 15's Lieutenant Joe Levy. Uh, we're on 71, we're coming up behind you. We're on 75. Palmer found Fire Marshal Ron Buka on the 75th floor, evacuating civilians. Battalion 7, Ladder 1-5? 1-5. I'm going to need two of your firefighters out of stairway to knock down two fires. You got a house line stretch? We can get some water on it and knock it down, okay? Palmer had discovered the only intact stairway to the top of the South Tower. Unlike the North Tower, the second plane had missed Stairway A. If Palmer could clear this stairwell, 619 souls would have a way out. He was five floors below Melissa Doy and rising. Alright, I'm on my way up, Oreo. 
I'm now, no, stay calm, stay calm, stay calm, stay Please, calm. God. You're doing a good job, ma'am. You're doing no, a good job. You're it's doing so hot. I'm burning up. The Ascent of Oreo Palmer and Peter Gancy's Sacrifice when we come back. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. An hour had passed since the attack on the World Trade Center began. In the South Tower, Battalion 7 Chief Oreo Palmer took the only working elevator as high as it would go. Then, he led the men of Ladder 15 on a climb from the 40th floor. Palmer was trying to clear a path to 619 people trapped by fire. This is Palmer's radio transmission from the 78th floor of the South Tower. He's calling the firefighters of Ladder 15, who are coming up with rescue gear from a few floors below. Code 1s were fatalities, more than he could count. Palmer pressed towards 79, climbing at about one floor a minute. As he rose, Melissa Doy, speaking to 911 from the 83rd floor, thought she heard someone. We don't know what she heard, but hearing no answer to her shout, Melissa Doy returned the call. Oriel Palmer knew how dangerous this was, and he didn't stop. A lot of 15 knew how dangerous it was, but we never thought that an entire high-rise building would collapse. There was no history of it anywhere in the world. But this day, history was changing because the planes had blasted away the spray-on fireproof foam insulating the structural steel. The burning floors were sagging, slowly pulling the exterior inward. EMS Division Chief John Perugia was in the City Emergency Operations Center where he received a warning from an official he believes was an engineer. He said, the buildings are severely compromised. You can see slight lean 
they're in danger of collapse. So I grabbed one of my staff guys, EMT uh, Rich Zarillo, and I said, Rich, go to Peak Ancy, don't talk to anyone else, and deliver this message. The buildings are in danger of collapse. In this four-second video, at far left, you see Rich Zarillo's blue shirt. He's delivering the warning to Pete Gancy. Zarillo hardly got the words out when Gancy's attention was drawn to a roar from the South Tower above him. Loud noise, had no idea what it was. All we saw was this plume of dust and smoke and, and debris. In the moment before, Melissa Doy had given the 911 operator her mother's phone number and the message that her daughter loved her. Then there was silence. Oh my God. Melissa, please. Gonna be all right? You're gonna be fine? You'll be able to talk to your mother yourself. But you gotta think positive, you gotta stay calm. Okay, you'll be able to talk to your mother yourself, all right? Melissa? Palmer's last radio transmission was Battalion 7 to Ladder 15, and there's nothing after that. That's when the tower collapses. He must have known that with every step he ascended, his chance of survival dropped. Didn't deter him one bit. The only thing that was in his mind was let me get up there. Let me get as many people out as I can, as quickly as I can. Joe Pfeiffer, next door in the North Tower, was 200 feet from the cascading twin. And then the lobby goes, pitch black. Everybody all right? Yeah, I'm okay. And in the darkness, I wondered if I was dead or alive. We gotta get everybody out. Let's go. And I got on my radio. And I said, command to all units in Tower One. Evacuate the building. Joe Pfeiffer was given the order to evacuate. And one of the firefighters uh, were calling my name. He says, uh, we, we have somebody down. I felt somebody at my feet. And I, I saw this was our fire, fire department chaplain, Father Michael Judge. I removed his white collar. I checked for his pulse and breathing. And he had none. And I knew he was gone. Several of us picked him up and we carried him out. The EMTs that had taken him actually took him, not to the morgue, but they took him to uh, St. Peter Claver, which is a Catholic church a little bit north of the Trade Center, and they laid him on the altar. And they called up the Franciscan priests to uh, come down and get him. Tower 2 has had a major explosion and what appears to be a complete collapse. You haven't mobilized the army. We need the army in Manhattan. There was a rush of dust with high pressure coming in, you know, with force um, that I've never experienced before. 
Gancy's street-side command post had been set up next to an underground garage in case shelter was needed. Captain John Sudnick, Gancy, and the chiefs dove into the entrance. I just remember the dust that day feeling like it was searing your lungs, like it was like it felt like you were swallowing glass. Pitch black, pitch black. But we heard voices. Are you okay? Are you okay? And then that's when we made our way back up. And then when we got up to uh, where the command post was, Pete's mind went into rescue mode. Pete Gancy heard on the radio the cries of trapped and wounded firefighters. And then I remember him giving orders. I need truck companies. I need a rescue company. Tell them to come with me. As he had before, Gancy went into the debris to save his men himself. In the still-standing North Tower, many firefighters refused the order to evacuate while they were still carrying the wounded and disabled. Gancy sent Sal Cassano to set up a new command post. Twenty-eight minutes later, Cassano was on his way back. And then I look up, and all I could see was the um, antenna from the North Tower imploding. I, in my mind, um, had to be resolved with death. Regina Wilson was on the street below the tower. She was with Engine 219 in her second year as a firefighter. And I prayed, and then I just asked God to just protect me, and if he couldn't, I knew that I would die doing what I love. Inside the collapsing North Tower, the men of Engine 39 were caught in a stairwell. And it started out slow, boom, boom, boom. Then it got quicker, and where faster. pretty soon it was just like bam, 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 coming down. You Jeff do. Coniglio and Jamie Epthamiades were on the stairs near the ground floor with 110 floors above them. It took 10 seconds for it to come down, but it felt like 10 minutes. I saw I was in the background of a funeral. I saw my casket. I saw my parents, my wife sitting in the front. And as I'm watching this, I'm like, all right, it's going to be quick. I'm just waiting for something to tap my shoulder and figure I'll feel a tap and that'll be it. We'll be gone. You know, we're not going to suffer. James McGlynn and Bob Bacon were in the same stairwell. You know, the, the wind actually came up the stairwell, you know, blew me into the air, and the, the landing that I was on just disintegrated underneath me. And I kind of bounced, you know, back and forth and ended up hanging from like a pipe. Uh, I think I said a couple of prayers and said, God, please get us out of here. Their fragment of an intact stairwell lay upon a mountain of misery. 16 acres of wreckage, 91 crushed FDNY vehicles, and quiet, like the first heavy snow of winter. Every once in a while, you'd hear the radio, the dispatcher on the radio trying to contact somebody. I'm an announcing any division or any staff chief at the scene of the World Trade Center, okay? Silence spoke of unimaginable loss. 
any division chief or any staff chief at the scene of any of the World Trade Centers, okay? That day, 23 battalion chiefs responded. Only four of us survived. Joe Pfeiffer thought of the lieutenant of Engine 33, his brother, Kevin, who Pfeiffer sent up the North Tower. I got on my radio and I said, Battalion 1 to Engine 33. And I repeated it several times and I didn't get an answer. Kevin Pfeiffer was gone. And so was the crew of Ladder 105, which rolled from Regina Wilson's firehouse. We found the truck. We didn't find the members. What happened to them? They all died. Among them was John Chipura, her mentor and her savior. Regina Wilson was assigned to the doomed Ladder 105, but early that morning before the attack, John Chapura asked to switch jobs, which put her among the survivors of Engine 219. I tried to honor him by, by talking his name, and that's how it is in the African-American culture. When you speak the name of an ancestor or you speak the name of a loved one, then they live. And so every time I say John's name, he lives, and that gives me comfort. It was very hot. Oh, yeah. The men of Engine 39 were trapped in the wreckage near the North Tower lobby. They could hear, only a few feet away, Battalion Chief Richard Prunty, who was pinned and calling for help. We couldn't get to him, and right. he was passing out in at times. Yeah, he was coming in and out. Did you hear his radio transmissions? The last thing that he said was, of course, about his wife and saying that, Tell my wife and children I love them. Yeah, that they were the most, my wife, that she was the most important thing in the world to me. Those words were among Richard Prunty's last. The men of Engine 39 were rescued, but 343 members of the FDNY were gone. In a tradition where the job is handed down in families, many lost fathers, sons, and brothers. Guys I had worked with both retired and active, saying to me, Petey, uh, you know, have you seen my son? And, uh, and, you know, firefighter, young firefighter coming up, you know, chief, have you seen my father? You know, I knew them, and I, I, uh, I just said no. I didn't have the courage to tell him what I knew to be true. Among the fallen were Peter Gancy and 71-year-old Deputy Fire Commissioner William Fian, who had gone with Gancy to rescue the trapped. Pete Hayden climbed atop an engine to address the living. I yelled out, um, you know, we, we just lost a, a lot of guys here today. Let's have a, a moment of silence. And, uh, well, I took my helmet off. And um, I, we held it. I held it. And uh, after a while, I put my helmet back on. They put their helmets back on. I said, okay, we got a job to do. Let's do it. Do you look back and wonder, how did I survive? And 343 members did not. Yeah. Um, I didn't think about it as much 
we were crazy busy. I was working 18 hours a day. And then it hit me. I said, I'm here. You know, I mean, I, I get home and I'm tired and there was always food on the table waiting for me when I came home that no matter what time I came home. And um, I'm lying in bed. And I asked my wife, why me? And she said, did you ever think there was a job for you to do? There was a job for Cassano and others to do, rebuilding the FDNY. When we come back, the children of the lost put on their father's uniform. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Volunteers started fighting fire in Manhattan in 1648. Nearly 200 years later, during the Civil War, an entire New York regiment was manned by firefighters. Their commander is quoted... I want New York firemen, for there are no more effective men in the country. As those veterans returned home in 1865, the modern FDNY was created. The department's traditions are handed down in families, and so it remains, especially for the children of 9-11's fallen. The late Chief of Department Peter Gancy had three children, his daughter married a firefighter. These are his sons. Captain Peter Gancy III was 27 on 9-11. Battalion Chief Chris Gancy was 25. How did you learn your father died? I ran home, and I got in the door right when Steve Masiello was my dad's driver. Uh, Al Torrey was the chief of safety. I just remember them telling my mom that he's gone. And she said, gone where? Like that, like an innocently. And they're like, he's dead. And I remember the scream that she, that she let out. It's, I could still hear it in my ears, and it pains me to hear it. The pain uh, of the realization that, that he's never walking back in the door. Pete, what kind of man was he? He loved being around family, but his family was also the fire department. Uh, we knew it. Uh, my mom knew it. Sometimes <laughs> to his dismay, but she, uh, you know, we, we understood the type of person that he was and, and why he chose, you know, our chosen career. 
Chris, you were in business and on your way to an MBA. Did 9-11 make you a fireman? Absolutely. Had 9-11 not happened, I would not have been a New York City firefighter. You've quoted your dad as telling new graduates from the fire academy, you will never, ever be rich, but you will always be happy. You'll always be happy. It's hard to explain to people how, like, you can get injured or you could get killed, but yet somehow you come home with a smile on your face. Like, I enjoy being part of the organization. It makes me, gives me a sense of pride that I never felt anywhere else. And, and, and maybe that's what had driven my father for, for so many years. I'm John Palumbo. I work in 92 Engine in the South Bronx. I'm Tommy Palumbo. I work in 69 Engine in Harlem. John, how old were you on 9-11? I was a week away from being eight years old. And I was nine. How many kids in the Palumbo family? There's 10 of us, eight boys and two girls. The Palumbo brothers' dad, Frank Palumbo, was 46 when he died, ladder 105. In a sense, it wasn't 9-11 that made the Palumbo boys firefighters. It was September the 12th and all the days that followed. My dad's brothers and sisters in the firehouse they cooked for us, they drove us places, they took us to Six Flags. I remember going on their shoulders and, you know, they'd take us by the arms and spin us in circles. The firehouse turned out for birthdays and games. The stands were filled at the hockey games, you know? It, it wasn't the same because you, you're missing the one person that you want there. But they do everything they can to fill it. You know, they never will, but... They did everything they could to fill it, as hard as it was for them, taking time away from their own families. The firehouse cooked dinner for the 10 Palumbos and their mother every Monday for five years until the family moved away. More than 60 children of 9-11's fallen have been through the training academy on Randall's Island in the East River and are now on the job. To join, they took a written exam that's given only once every four years. About 60,000 applicants take it, and only those in the top 10% earn a place in the rank and file. I, I'm very proud of them. I feel that their, their fathers would have been very proud of them. Dan Nigro, Chief Gansey's number two on 9-11, was promoted to Chief of Department and became the city fire commissioner. Among the others in our story, John Sudnick, a captain on 9-11, rose to chief of department, and so did Peter Hayden. Sal Cassano became fire commissioner. Battalion chief Joe Pfeiffer became chief of counterterrorism and now teaches crisis leadership. Regina Wilson was studying for the lieutenant's exam. And Oreo Palmer's name lives on the FDNY's award for the most physically fit firefighters. A lot of bravery. A lot of bravery was displayed that day. Um, and uh, followed by a lot of sadness. Commissioner, it seems to be a sad day for you 20 years later. I think for everybody that was there that day, it, it has just stayed with them, the sadness. You have, we have plenty of good days, plenty to be thankful for, those of us who survived, but uh, it's, a, it's a day that it'll never leave, never leave you. 
sadness becomes part of your life. Absolutely. Your father survived the collapse of the first tower. And instead of moving to safety, he went to answer the mayday calls from his trapped firefighters. Receiving reports of firefighters trapped in downtown. He knew that the other building was in imminent danger of collapsing. He had decided in that moment that he was not going home. Yeah, I mean, he, he chose his guys, and, you know, we, we could get angry about it, and I know my sister and my mother, sometimes we hit our head against the wall, but when, when the smoke clears and, and you think about it, it was the only decision. I knew the way he felt about his men and his job in the FDNY, and he was going to stay and see the job through. And he, he wouldn't have been able to live with himself if he, if, he, if he left and, you know, one more guy was killed. It's, it's just the way he was. It was, I have to be there until the last guy is out. Today's recruits were children then. Secure your gear. And so they muster before memories. Three columns of the World Trade Center and 343 lives, which are here, indelible in time. So many of us sacrifice so much that this story can't get lost because the world is changing fast. And I don't want this to be something that's in um, a history book that a page is turned and we're forgotten. We cannot do justice in this hour or any number of hours to the sacrifices of the FDNY, the New York City Police Department, the Port Authority Police, and those who fought to save lives at the Pentagon and on Flight 93 in Pennsylvania. At the Trade Center, 2,753 people perished, but there were more than 17,000 in the towers, and 99% of those below the fires survived. That morning, a witness watched firefighters rush to the stairwells and wondered how they found the courage. After 21 years of reflection, it's clear, they climbed to rise to rise to the cries 1,000 feet above them, to rise to the defense of the firefighter beside them, to rise beyond duty, to a place of selfless devotion. If you like 60 Minutes, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Are you a fan of 60 Minutes? You can represent the most watched series on television with shirts, sweatshirts, mugs, and more at ParamountShop.com. You can take 20% off with code MINUTES20. That's 20% off at checkout on all 60 Minutes products with code MINUTES20 at ParamountShop.com. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts.